Julio, would you come up? As we begin 2020, we want to move up as a church family. And part of doing that is we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer over the next six weeks. And so we're going to say the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. And But also what we have here is today is Julio. And after we say it in English, we're going to just pause, and Julio is going to recite the Lord's Prayer in Spanish. We understand that we serve a Father in Heaven who understands every language. <laughs> and we have roots in the other continents and other places in the world that are part of new life. And we want to celebrate that as we say the Lord's Prayer together. So would you, would you say it with me? And then would you just listen as Julio says it after we say it as a church family in Spanish. So let us pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, Father who, who art, art in heaven, heaven hallowed, hallowed be thy name. name. Thy, thy kingdom, kingdom come. come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Padre nuestro que estás en los cielos, santificado sea tu nombre. Venga tu reino, hágase tu voluntad, como en el cielo, así también en la tierra. El pan nuestro de cada día, danoslo hoy. Y perdona nuestras deudas, como también nosotros perdonamos a nuestros deudores. Y no nos dejes caer en tentación, mas líbranos del mal. Porque tuyo es el reino, el poder y la gloria, por todos los siglos. Amén. Amén. Thank you, Julio. Before we get into the sermon, uh, next Sunday will be a big day for our family. I'm taking my daughter and my wife to Sylvan Lake where they will join up with a team. And on the following Monday, they'll drive to Calgary and fly from Canada to Amsterdam, from Amsterdam to Uganda. So. My poor wife and daughter will go from minus 30 to plus 30, so, <laughs> and uh, they're on a missions trip for 17 days, and so just want you guys to know that. We're going to pray for them next week, um, and this is the same thing. If, if you're going somewhere, let us know, because we'd love to celebrate that with you, but uh, it's kind of a, a dream that uh, Zoe's had, and so we, we just get behind missions, and we're partnering with a team there that's going to a, a ministry called Touch in Uganda that has a school and an orphanage, and they help kids, and families in need, and so Zoe and Alicia will be helping them for the period of time. Uh, suffering in the heat of the <laughs> equatorial sun while we enjoy the cold here in Canada. So, anyway, if you'd like to be a prayer partner with them, just talk to them after service, and we'd love to have you as part of this, this team, supporting them in prayer as they go. Here at New Life, we're about moving up and moving out in new life in Jesus Christ. You're new to new life. That's that's who we are. That's what we're about. And sometimes we talk a lot about moving out, and sometimes we talk about moving up. And, and as we enter January to 2020, our focus is on moving up. And the topic that I wanted to to focus on is that topic of of prayer, moving up, closer to God, in prayer. And the reality is, is that most of us could stand to learn something about prayer. Uh, maybe you even feel guilty when you when you when you when I bring up the topic prayer. You're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm really not, you know, batting a home run on that one, you know. And and, and and this is the reality: is 
is that at seasons in your life, prayer will look different, but the reality is God wants the disciple, uh, his followers of Jesus, to, to discover this wonderful treasure that we have, which is prayer. And Jesus spends a fair bit of time talking about it in Matthew chapter 6, and he gives this model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Now, that's misnamed, because it's not actually a prayer that Jesus prays. It's a prayer that he gives us. It's more the disciples' prayer, or the model prayer for us to follow, because in the prayer, he talks about asking for forgiveness. Jesus never sinned, so he didn't need to ask for forgiveness. It's a prayer that he gives us for our own sake. It's not magical. It's not like if you just say these words in this way, boom, this is what happens. It's not a magical formula, but it is a guideline. It's a skeletal structure which gives us, this is what prayer is like. I went to Bible college and encountered a prayer culture that I wasn't used to or, or expecting. They prayed all the time. Prayer meeting during the week. I never went to a prayer meeting before I went to Bible college, but, but certain Christian you know, uh, cultures have this thing they call the prayer meeting, right? And, and, and they're at the prayer meeting, you know, requests are given, and, and you're just praying, 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 and then all of a sudden in the middle of, of the semester, they had this thing called the day of prayer. I'm like, what do you do for a whole day praying? Like, like how, you know, how are you supposed to pray for a day, you know? And and, and as I was learning the, the Bible and discovering God, I was like, you know, I need to, to grow in this area of prayer. I went to the library and took out some old books and tried to kind of go through them, and, and they didn't really help me a lot. But then what I discovered is, as I was learning God's Word, as I was understanding more about God, it became more natural to talk to Him about the things I was learning, to praise Him and to thank Him. And so I'm hoping that you won't feel guilted about prayer. But you'll feel like it's an invitation from the Father in Heaven inviting you to come and to know Him. To draw near to Him. To experience that relationship in the way that He intended it to be experienced. So, if you have your Bibles, if not, there's also Bibles at the back. You're free to feel free to grab one anytime. But in Matthew chapter 6, He talks about this idea of prayer. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the manifesto of the kingdom. It's the, you know, the, the kingdom constitution, the kingdom kind of ethics, you know, this is what, what it means to follow, be a follower of Jesus, and Jesus is, is, in this sermon is, is, is just laying out, here's, here's what you've heard, but here's, what, here's the reality, here's the heart of the matter, and, and he talks about some of the, the, the Jewish practices of, 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 of religious expression. He says, you know, you, you guys, you know, you give, and you, and you pray, and you fast, but let me just put it into the context of what it looks like in the kingdom. And he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, be careful not to display your righteousness merely to be seen by people. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father in heaven. Understand, this is the context for the whole passage. The Jews took great pride in, in, in showing off their spirituality. And, and so did some Christians, unfortunately. Um, they, they loved to just show off you know, how, how spiritual they were. So understand, as we get to the area of prayer, you'll understand that they would have set times for prayer. And one of them was kind of that 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So they would purposely plan their outing so they'd be in the most, in the most public place in Jerusalem. And, and, and when the 3 o'clock stopped, you know, they would stop and they would begin to pray, Oh, great, awesome Father, and you know, Lord in heaven, blah, blah, blah. And, and they would show off right on the street corner, everyone walking around, just how spiritual they were. It's still the same way in Jesus' day. You go to the way that involves a priest, and you will see the Jews there doing their thing. If you're a man, you'll be able to squeeze into the little cave next to the wall and, 
go in and you'll see books and guys, you know, doing things. I remember seeing this little 11-year-old boy standing on this little platform behind a pulpit like this and doing his thing and saying out loud and praying. And, and he was learning to, to, to put it on. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. Don't show off your spiritual wealth. And then in verse 5, he gets more specifically. He says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray while standing in synagogues and on street corners so that people can see them. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. What you do there, that's all you get. And, and this is the thing about reward. We think, you know, is God giving you money? Is it like a jackpot? Is it like a lottery ticket? No, the reward is the relationship with God. But if you're just doing it for the people there, that's as far as it goes. But there is a deep reward that God has in store for those who will discover the secret of prayer. Don't show off your prayer. There were guys at college that would leave their doors a little cracked open. And so as you walk by, you could see them kneeling on their bed, praying, you know, and you're just thinking, wow, that's, that's really nice, you know. And, uh, boy, how spiritual they are and how unspiritual I am, you know. And, and that's, it's not a competition. Some people are given a ministry of prayer. They can pray for hours, and they just love it. It just fills them up. And, and some of you are like, man, five minutes, and I'm done. And that's okay. It's not about how much time you spend in prayer. It's about if you make an actual connection with God when you come to him. These guys weren't really looking to connect with God. They were just looking to show off their spirituality. But he says in verse 6, Whenever you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. Go to that secret place. And usually... A, a, a room in the ancient Near East there, a house would have one kind of secret room. Sometimes that was the room where you would put your treasures. And it was kind of, he's kind of playing on this cultural reality. It's like, as you go into the place where you store your, you know, your bankroll and your little gold coins, understand that in that secret moment, you're going to discover the reward and the treasure of a relationship with God that you never knew was possible. I decided to try this one. went into my closet you know, and squeezed into it. It wasn't very big, you know, and I, I got in there, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really live out the, 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 you know, Jesus command here, and I, you know, I'm closing my eyes, and, and then I, I smell, you know, the, the you know, my, my hamper was right there, you know, and I'm playing sports every day, you know, and it's stinky socks, and I was like, man, this is not a spiritual environment, you know. It didn't really work for me, but for me, I could disappear and go for a walk down the tracks or find a little, you know, hill or somewhere, you know, out of the way. No one's watching. And, and, and sometimes for me, walking is a way that I, that I pray to God. And it's sort of something that I do in, in secret. I used to do it around our property. But now that we cut the trees down, it's not so secret anymore. You know, you can, you can see me walking around the property. But it's, you know, everyone has a different way. But he's like, it's not about performing for others. It's about you finding a, a secret place that you and God connect, where you can connect. Sometimes. This may seem irreverent, but sometimes you have to go in the bathroom and lock the door <laughs> and sit on the tub or whatever while your little kids are playing outside. Mommy, where are you? <laughs> and you're praying because you just need a secret place. And that is the one place where you're allowed to be alone and no one should interrupt you, right? I mean, you find your place in secret. So he says, you know, do it sincerely. Do it secretly. Find the connection with God, and, and there's a reward there. And he says in verse 7, when you pray, do not babble repetitiously like the Gentiles because they think, that by their many words they will be heard. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You know, the, the pagans just repeat, just, just pray, 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 loud, and, and 
repeat the same phrases over and over and over and over again. My father said that the church he grew up in was like this. If we keep asking God for mercy and we say it a hundred times in the service, hopefully by the end he'll, he'll actually respond. But Jesus is like, that's not the way it works. It's not like a Microsoft Word document that keeps record of, of how many words in the document. You know, when the teacher asks you for 500 words, you're like, okay, how many have I got? Oh, 479. I need another, you know, you can't, you know, you're just counting. If I get the right word count, God's going to suddenly, boom, answer the It doesn't work that way. Sometimes it's those short, succinct, but heartfelt prayers that really get to the heart of God. I took a class at seminary. This is, of course, you understand, I'm, I'm on my seventh year of theological education here. I'm my final semester, and this guy came in to teach a, a module class. It was like a two-hour class. It wasn't even a full week. It was like kind of a mini-week, you know. And it was a short class, but it was a class on prayer. I'm like, this is going to be interesting. Like, how do you teach a class on prayer, right? The guy had written a book on prayer, The Doctrine of Prayer. T.W. Hunt was his name. He was from Fort Worth in, in Texas, and I thought, okay, this is going to be really interesting. And so I was really interested to see how he taught, you know, about God's character and how we can approach him by his names and all these things. But what was really fascinating was when he would open the class in prayer. It was like three sentences. Amen. All right, let's get to it. You know, and I was like, man, that was so short. And so I asked him about it. Man, you, you don't really pray very long. He's like, you know, uh, when it comes to public prayer, we, you know, it's not about the length. It's just about getting to the point. Now, this was a guy that he prayed all night. He had all-night prayer meetings. He did all sorts of other things. But when it came to just the public thing, it wasn't about performance. It wasn't about using fancy phrases. And, and I admit, I, I myself have been drawn into the point of where you're praying now to that people that are listening can hear your, your great terms that you've learned, you know, how, how biblical and scriptural and spiritual you are because you know how to say things. And it's especially spiritual if you pray in the King James language, right? Like, the, thy, you know, like, wow, that person. You know. No, if that's your Bible and you're praying scripturally, I mean, I get it. But understand, simplicity, sincerity, that's the bedrock of prayer. And it could just start with a few minutes a day. And as you come to know the Father, you'll discover that you want to share more with your Father. You want to hear more from your Father. And so he lays out a pattern here. And, and this is the interesting thing is you probably pray. And usually you, like me, pray when you're in trouble. <laughs> you pray when you need things. But the Lord's Prayer doesn't start with trouble or needs. It starts with God's name, God's glory, God's priorities. And that's, I think, fundamental to us growing and moving up in our prayer lives is putting God first there. You know, we, one of the struggles I had with prayer meetings, it just seemed to be like a, a list of, you know, medical needs of, you know, people around the world. And, and, you know, random people you never met or never will. So-and-so's uncle's dog's friend, you know, that, that is sick, you know. And, and, and not that God doesn't care about our physical needs, but Jesus establishes that the spiritual needs and, and, and the, the, the greatness of God comes before all of that stuff. And yeah, if you're sick, God, you should pray for you, and we don't mind praying for you, but God is more concerned with your spiritual life than he is with your physical life. Even death is nothing to God. I mean, if you believe in him, well, death means you enter my presence. Well, it's not a big deal, but to us it's a huge deal, right? And if you're sick or you're, you're suffering, wow, that's awful. And God's like, well, that's, that's, I'm glorified in that moment. You understand this, he says. And, and that's actually great to my greater glory that you go and, and endure this. And sometimes we don't understand that, but the Lord's Prayer puts the priority in order here. And so he begins by saying, our Father, verse 9, so pray this way, Jesus says, our Father 
in heaven. May your name be The Jews were very big on respecting God. And for Jesus to suggest that they could actually talk to God in this such a relational manner was would be a little shocking. Like you would think they'd say, Almighty God, great creator, the most high, the Almighty, the powerful one, the Lord who, who reigns over armies and rules armies. I mean, there's so many titles that you could pull from the, the Old Testament, and Jesus pulls this title, Father. Some have suggested that it's like unto our term daddy, but it has a little more of a formal tone than daddy. But it is intensely relational. You actually know this God in a personal connection and relationship. He says, pray this way, our Father in heaven. Now maybe you had a father that wasn't ideal. And this is a stumbling block for you. Like, I want to pray to God, but when I say that word father, it just brings up a lot of baggage. Abuse, neglect, abandonment. I don't know what it is. And part of your spiritual journey is learning to work through that. But what Jesus introduces us to is a father who is perfect, who is loving, who is caring, who knows you and wants to know you, who delights to have that relationship and connection with you. Understand that this is the Father in heaven, and he wants to hear from you. But as you begin the prayer, you are not asking about your own things. You're, you're going to get to that later, but he's got three priorities right at the very beginning that are about him, not about you. And Jesus says, the place to start in prayer is just to focus off yourself and onto the Father. God in heaven. When we think about God being in heaven, it should remind us just the fact that God is not confined to our difficulty, to our circumstance, to our situation. He is in a place of power and authority and sovereignty and kingship. He has the ability and the resources to assist all of us whenever we need it. He is not stuck in this world, in our situation, mired and with you know, myopic tunnel vision and unable to see the, the big, bigger picture. He's in heaven. He sees it all. And you're talking to him, and, and, and he in heaven is listening to you. It's remarkable. He's in heaven. It was 1995. I was in Lloydminster. Jumping in my 1974 Plymouth Valiant, and I was driving from Lloydminster to Miller College of the Bible, just south of Sokrona. I'm Highway 4. I was, it was the end of the summer. It had been a great summer. I, I started a new church. The church had hired me for the year as an intern a church across town. Some of you might be familiar with it. And, and there I was, and I, I was going back to Miller. I was going to meet my fourth-year buddies. That summer had been great. I'd actually met a really cute, blonde, green-eyed girl here in Lloydminster. And, and so, man, it was just, and I was living the dream. You know, I was driving this nice gold valiant down to, to Miller and, and going to see my buddies. And it was just sort of like, yeah, you know, everything was going good. And I get close to bigger. I'm about 20 minutes out, and, and the car begins to lurch. Did you, did you see that? And it, it dies. I get out and I pop the hood and I'm like, what's going on? Nothing, nothing's happening. The battery's dead. And someone comes along and we jumpstart my car and we, I drive into Bigger. I'm like, okay, this is good. And then all of a sudden it, it does it. I just barely cripple my way into Bigger and boom, the car dies again. So I went and bought another, you know, a, a set of jumper cables. I didn't even own a pair of those. And I tried to jump it again. Nothing's happening. And I'm like, what is going on here? I get on the phone. I call my dad. 
He's, my dad and I had a good relationship. I, I don't have the issues that my father left us with working for him. But father came with a very good temper. And I, and I explained what was happening. Dad, this is what's happening. And, and, and I could just feel the angst of my father 14 hours away in B.C. saying, look, Mike, I, I wish I could help you. But I can't. He said, well, try this. It's probably your alternator. You've got to take that thing off and see if you can find it. I mean, so here it is. It's, it's Labor Day weekend. It's September 1st in bigger Saskatchewan, right? You know what happens in small town Saskatchewan Labor Day weekend, right? The, the, the streets begin to roll up. You know, people start to batten, you know, they batten the hatches, and they, 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 they leave, right? The, the town is literally emptying out as, as this crisis is, is, is revolving around me. And I'm, and I'm talking to my dad, and I could just feel it. If it was within three hours, he would have been in the truck and driving to help me. But he's like, Mike, I cannot physically help you. Here's some ideas. But, I, you know, I, I, I could feel it. And, and, I, and I just, I could, I could sense my dad hanging up that phone. And him getting on his knees and going like, Father in heaven, <laughs> I can't help him, but you can. And I said the same thing. Lord, I, my dad can't help me, but, but you can help me. Help me. Go to this auto, auto supply store. In bigger Saskatchewan. Like, do you happen to have an alternator for a 1974 Plymouth Valiant? Like, who has that sitting on the shelf? You know, 21-year-old car, you know. Good luck with that, eh? And the guy's like, well, I don't have anything. But he's like, wait a second. Let, let's jump in the truck with me, eh? So I jump in this truck. I'm like, okay, what? Sure. We drive out of town. I'm like, where are we going? You know, he's going to bury me out there somewhere. Like, <laughs> what's happening, you know? And we pull into this field full of cars. And I'm like, what in the world? And we pull up to this, there's, this, there's grass growing around. He comes up to this car, he opens the trunk, and there is piles of alternators in this trunk. And he begins to kind of go through. Well, here's the one you need. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> like, so anyway, we come back, and, and I put this thing on, and I'm trying to get it to work, and finally... Finally, the car starts, and I'm like, okay, great. You know, the, the sun is beginning to set. It's that nice gold color, you know, and I'm driving out of bigger. I can see in the west, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to make it. And all of a sudden, the car, Lord. Get out, open the hood up, and this guy pulls up. Tan, big hands, you know, working man's hands. You know, what's the problem? I'm like, well, I just did this and this. And, and you know, and we're talking and we're having a great conversation. And, and, and he talks about, you know, I mean, he was from Bigger. He, you know, he was married. Him and his wife were from different kind of Christian traditions. But, you know, and he, he loved his job working for a farmer. I, I still wonder if he actually was a, a guy that worked for a farmer, if he was kind of God's angel. Because God's like, hey, I got to send someone personally down there because Mike cannot figure this out, you know. But anyway, <laughs> this guy shows up. I had put a washer on wrong, and he kind of fixed it on the alternator, and boom, jumped it, started, boom, there it went, and off I went. My earthly father was incapable of helping me. He would have. But my heavenly father, because he has access to all the resources that I need, knew the guy that could find the part that I needed, knew the guy that could fix the poor repair that I had done, <laughs> and he got me on the road. When you pray to our Father in heaven, you are praying to one God that is able to help you and resource you and equip you and take care of you in whatever situation you find yourself. Our Father in heaven. It's a good reminder to us parents because sometimes we want to fix every problem for our kids and sometimes they need to discover God's help for the problems that we can't fix for them. 
And it's probably the hardest thing as a parent to just sit and watch your kids struggle. And there I am trying to figure out this alternator, and, you know, and, and, but God, my Father in heaven, looked after me when I needed his help. You have a Father in heaven. He's able to help you. He's able to, to look after you. And, and the prayer actually is this, that our Father in heaven, may your name be honored, or hallowed be thy name. If your translation says, holy is your name, well, it's actually a, it's actually a, request, a request. It's a petition. It's not a demand, but it's saying, Lord, may people know who you are in your character, in your nature. May they truly see that and experience it and understand it. May they understand that you are the Holy One. God's holiness is a theme that comes throughout the scriptures. It's how God is absolutely separate and distinct from us. You know, this is, this is my issue with, you know, for instance, the Mormons, who, who think that they can somehow attain God-like stature. That, that's their ambition, right? Now, someday I'm going to be my own God over my own little universe, and blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm going to call my wife up, and she's going to give celestial birth to celestial babies for eternity. Yeah, it's not a great heaven to look forward to, ladies. Eh? There you go, you know. And, and and I'm like, no, no, because there's a difference. When my God is holy, that means that I will never, ever become what he is. There's a distinction. There's a, there's a separation that always exists. He's the creator. I'm the creature. He is absolutely pure, undefiled, righteous. There is nothing wrong, evil, unjust, unfair about God at all. He's holy. The, the Old Testament concept referred to things that were separate or, or distinct or set apart for special usage. Maybe your, your grandma had that china cabinet. Maybe some of you have a china cabinet, right? You don't pull out the china cabinet every day, you know, and throw that china in the microwave. I mean, it was for special occasions, right? You didn't put the can of dog food and slop it on grandma's china. You didn't do that. It was for Thanksgiving, birthdays, Christmas, Easter, right? You know, I mean, it was special. And God says to his people, you are special. Because I am holy, you are holy. And as we begin to pray, we are focusing on God's holy character. The name of God refers to everything that God is. It was his character. It's not just a title or a designation. It was everything he represented. The Jews had deep respect for God's name. In the Old Testament, it shows up as four consonants. And, and we've added vowels to it to say Yahweh or Jehovah, but really it was, it was unpro unpronounceable because it was so holy. A devout Jew doesn't even try to pronounce the name of God. They'll call, when they, when they come up to the name Yahweh in, in the Old Testament, they'll say Shaddai, you know, the Almighty, or they'll say Hashem, the name. They, they wouldn't even try to because if they would say it wrong, they would maybe bring dishonor to, to the character and to the nature of who God is. Fast forward to 2020. And someone you worked with probably this week in a moment of exclamation said, oh my God. And they, could care, they, they were not even thinking about God when they said it. But that's just what they said. It comes out of their mouth. Maybe guys you work with named the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in their conversation. And they're not referring to him in a respectful tone whatsoever. It's just boom. Lisa and I were walking around the canal in energy one day, and this guy, we had a little altercation, and he dropped the name of Jesus Christ. And I said, whoa, wait a second. I respect the name of Jesus Christ, and I don't appreciate you talking about that. And then, of course, I got more <laughs> language and all stuff. But, you know, my kids were right there. I'm like, you know what? I, I need to stand up for the name of Jesus. 
holy is your name. We have to start thinking about how we approach God. And it's okay to correct people in your house, in your workplace. You know, we had a lady that was filling in, a secretary at a church. And she kept saying, oh my God, oh my God. And we're like, wait a second, lady. Like, this is not working here. And she was offended. And, you know, she, oh, what, what's wrong? And I'm like, we respect the name of God. And, and so I'm just encouraging you that as we want God's name to be honored in our city and in our lives and in our families and in our homes, it means that we start by giving God's name the respect that it deserves. That we don't just refer to him in cavalier manner. And if that's your habit, if you text OMG, stop texting him. If you want to talk to God, talk to God. But don't, don't dilute him to some you know, trivial expression that has no respect for people. If men refer or women refer to Jesus Christ in your shop, in your office... Maybe remind them that some of us actually like Jesus and have a relationship with him, and we'd prefer if you didn't talk to, about him or to him like that. It's time that we teach our city what it means to honor God's name. Teach our, our children what it means to honor God's name. Teach, teach our, our schools what it means to honor God's name, our, our, our sports teams. I mean, we believe that this is the God of the universe, and we pray to him. And, he, and, and our first prayer is this, Lord, may your name be honored, sanctified, set apart, revered as holy. So here's what it is. As we begin 2020, 2020, I want you to develop a new habit. I'd like you to begin a habit of praying the Lord's Prayer. Now, it's not, again, a, a formula or a secret magical thing. It, you know, it, what it is, it is, is, it's getting our hearts tuned right for the day. So here it is. Some of you, the first thing you do when you wake up is what? You look at your phone. I'm asking you to forget looking at your phone before you look at the phone to at least recite the Lord's Prayer in your head. Take your time. Think about it. It probably only take you 30 seconds, but to give your heart and your focus to the Lord before you look at your phone, turn on your computer, flip, flip on your iPad, whatever you do, go exercise. Start your day with the Lord's Prayer. And as, as we start it, understand that the first thing that God wants you to, to realize is that His name is to be honored. The implications, of course, will, will come out of this. And that, you know, everything we do either honors or dishonors the name of the way we behave either brings glory to God or it detracts from his glory. Our speech, our actions, the things we choose to do, the things we choose not to do. I mean, God wants us to honor him in every facet of our lives. But more than that, this is about worshiping and focusing on God. He is holy. He is the holy one. His name is holy. And so it's remarkable that, that even we have this opportunity today to come to the communion table because a holy God can't stand sinful people. We, there's no chance for any of us. But through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, we have access to the holy God and we can call him Father because Jesus Christ took care of the, the, the obstruction between us and God once and for all when he died on the cross. And we have the privilege of, of prayer and, and of relationship and of talking to God because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. So today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you don't know God as your Father, I invite you to receive the gift 
that Jesus Christ is, that God offers to us in Christ. And to enter into that relationship and to come to know God as your Father to this day. The perfect Father. The one who listens and helps and hears and whose name is holy and honored and, 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 and respected and revered. That's why we have communion. To remind us of, of, of how we come to this place where we can actually come and talk to God. It's because of Jesus Christ. And as he encourages us to move up in our relationship and to pray and, and to pray in a biblical way and an appropriate way, this is how it starts. Honoring God's name and, and remembering that because of Jesus Christ, we have access to God through his sacrificial death on the cross. Through his resurrection, we have new life. And we are now moving up and out in new life in Jesus Christ. And so as we prepare for communion today, we are going to just sing some songs about God's holiness. First one is an old song, and then the second one is a newer one. Uh, team, if you'd come up and prepare to lead us. This is your opportunity to get your heart right with God. Again, if you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can do that today where you're seated. Right now, you can confess your sins and accept Jesus Christ by faith and say, I believe that Jesus died for me, rose again, and I accept the gift of salvation, and I want God to be my Father. In that moment, you move from death to life. You move from darkness to light. God gives you his Holy Spirit, and you become part of God's family. And you enter into this wonderful privilege of calling, being able to approach God in prayer. But understand, as we come to communion, that God is this perfect creator. He's the owner, the master, the Lord, the king of the universe. And yet, and yet, he invites us to approach him as our father. And yet, he... he cares about us individually and personally, even in spite of the fact that he is so great and majestic and huge and creates this whole universe with his word, he invites us to know him personally. And communion reminds us of the price that was paid to make that a reality. And so as we worship, we want to prepare our hearts to receive the bread and the cup, which reminds us of the price that was paid for us to know Jesus is our Savior, and God is our Father. Team, would you lead us as we prepare ourselves for communion?